Hello, my friends. Young and old, little and big, heroes and heroines. Welcome to this episode of Finnerin's Wake for kids. The stories here told stand at the very heart of our culture, a culture to whose ancient rhythm and musical pulse each and every one of our souls is tuned. These stories vibrate in our bones, they course through our veins, and resonate and dance all around us. The following story, about which I'm very excited to tell you, is one you'll not soon forget. It's the story of Callisto. It features the rebuilding of the world after its near total destruction, a scandalous affair between a god and a nymph, the child born of that union, the mother's magical transformation into a bear, her encounter with her grown son, now a hunter, and their marvelous apotheosis, their becoming stars in the night sky. We begin where, in our last episode, we left off. If that's an episode to which you've not yet listened, first of all, how dare you? And secondly, quick, pause this episode right where you are and go back to it. Don't worry, I'll wait right here for you until you're finished. If... However, you've already listened to it. Tell me, do you remember what happened to our poor friend Phaethon, the headstrong son of Helios, the sun god, to whom a divine job, far beyond a simple boy's power, was given? Do you remember? Very briefly, I'll recap. Phaethon, uncertain of his parentage, or who his father was, hoped to resolve his identity crisis by visiting the sky. For many hours, and with much effort, he climbed the winding steps of heaven, the cloud-suspended stairwell up which few humans ever venture. Finally, somewhere above India, he reached the palace of Helios, into whose radiant court he was warmly welcomed. Once there, he met with and was acknowledged by his father, Helios, from whom he received a fateful promise. The god would fulfill Phaethon's desire, whatever it might be. Phaethon's desire proved deadly. Unmoved by his father's pleas to change his mind, Phaethon wanted one thing, and one thing only, to drive his father's great chariot across the sky, a dangerous vehicle over which almost instantly he lost control. Before being struck down by Zeus, 
Phaethon burned the sky and the earth, threatening the stars and changing the climate. Now it was up to Zeus, most powerful of all gods, to clean up Phaethon's mess. Kind of like when your parents clean up your room when it's beyond messy. But I'm sure that never happens. Zeus made his anxious rounds of heaven, across which he soared with incredible swiftness and speed. Heaven is, as you know, an expansive or very large place. How long do you think it would take you to fly across it? An hour? A month? Perhaps a year. As only a god can, Zeus examined all of heaven in an instant. He was relieved to find its overall structure was sound. The ceiling wasn't cracked, the carpet wasn't stained, the furniture was unbroken, and that Phaethon, that rascal, hadn't done too much damage to his abode. He then turned his attention to Earth, over which he scanned his regal, all-seeing eye. He was particularly keen to examine Arcadia, the idyllic or supremely beautiful and natural land in which he was born. Can you say Arcadia? Very good. That was Zeus's hometown. Sadly, Arcadia had suffered some damage. Her springs and rivers, having been torched by Phaethon, were now afraid to flow. Their currents had boiled and now had fallen quiet. Her foliage, her plants, her blooming trees, and her teeming bushes were charred and no longer glittered green. The rolling hills from which those luxuriant trees and bushes sprang were now all limp and deflated. Zeus, in response, put on his gardener's outfit, overalls, boots, hat, a little dab of sunblock on his nose, a strand of hay in his teeth, and got to work. He breathed new life into the rivers, gave verdure, or greenness, to the fields, encouraged the flowers to blossom, roused the trees to stand erect, and bade the ravaged woods to grow green again. At his prompting, they did exactly this. Arcadia, in all its pastoral beauty, was restored. And yet, Arcadia wasn't the only beautiful sight to grab hold of Zeus's attention. As he was finishing the hard work of rebuilding his hometown, 
a beautiful nymph, <laughs> a maiden of the river and the forest called Callisto, caught his sweaty eye. Boy, was she pretty. Callisto was no ordinary girl. With makeup, lipstick, rouge, earrings, and eyeliner, she refused to ornament herself. For fine jewelry, she had no taste. For high heels and expensive purses, no tolerance. Sounds like my kind of lady. She was, above all, a simple, free-spirited, athletic girl whose flowing dress was cinched by a crude buckle and whose straggling auburn hair was held by nothing but a plain white band. Like Daphne, a fellow nymph, she was a follower of Artemis, or Diana. Diana, brother of Apollo, was, like him, exceptionally skilled in the use of her bow and arrow. Unlike him, she managed to keep her romantic passions under control. She relished in the hunt and the forest, and had no plans to go on any dates with boys. Callisto, equipped with a light spear and sometimes a bow, was Diana's favorite student. And Diana, of whom Callisto strove to be a perfect image, was Callisto's revered teacher. Zeus was quick to discern, or detect, the warm regard each had for the other, an affection of which he schemed to take advantage. Callisto, after finishing her push-ups, jumping jacks, and target practice that afternoon, retired to a shaded, sleepy glade deep in the woods of Arcadia. A glade is an open space in a forest. Think of the Everglades in Florida. There, all alone, she unstrung her bow, took off her quiver, and laid down on the soft, wet grass, by whose cool, dewy blades her weary body was refreshed. Ah! None but Zeus saw her lying there. Excited by Callisto's vulnerability, and aware of her love for and trust in Diana, Zeus decided to take the goddess's form. With a snap of his fingers, he transformed himself into Diana and walked right up to Callisto. Callisto was overjoyed to meet him, or her. She, of course, was deceived by the figure before her. This was not really Diana the husbandless warrior goddess of whom she was so fond. This was Zeus disguised as Diana. Suddenly, 
Without asking for permission, Zeus planted a big kiss on Callisto's lips. Strange, thought Callisto. This is not the normal way in which two maiden warriors greet each other. Zeus, that naughty god, chuckled and then kissed her again. Only this time, he seized her in his arms, an embrace of a god against which she squirmed but couldn't really fight. Zeus, satisfied with his stolen kisses, retreated back to the sky. Callisto, confused by what had just happened, was distraught. She could not but feel guilty about what had just transpired. Transpired is just another word for happened. She knew that, in Diana's school, kissing boys is not allowed. It is strictly prohibited. Having been caught doing so would be grounds for expulsion or being kicked out. Thus, Callisto decided to keep her encounter with Zeus a secret, of which, for nine whole months, not even her best friend, Ashley, had the slightest inkling. But the secret was soon uncovered. One day, all the nymphs in Diana's school were bathing in a stream, which meant that Callisto would have to undress and join them. As her gown fell and she turned to face her classmates, a big, round belly protruded. It couldn't be more obvious. Callisto was pregnant! She was going to be a mother. But no mothers were allowed to be in Diana's school, from which, in accordance with the rules, Callisto was promptly ejected. Abandoned and alone, Callisto gave birth to a beautiful little boy, Arcus, after whom the town of Arcadia is named. Hera, Zeus's wife, was enraged when she learned the identity of Arcus's father. She scolded Zeus, her husband, before directing her wrath toward poor Callisto. For having tempted my husband and disgraced me, Hera shouted, you shall pay. That loveliness, your one joy, the grace that won my lord, I shall destroy. In a flash, Hera seized Callisto by her beautiful auburn hair and flung her to the ground. Callisto held out her arms and begged for mercy, 
but no mercy was given. You won't believe what happened next. Do you want me to tell you? Are you sure? Well, all of a sudden, grisly fur spread over Callisto's delicate arms. Her long, slender, girlish limbs began to shorten and look rather bearish, like an animal's. Her nails, of which, admittedly, she never took great care, began to lengthen and sharpen into claws as her hands curved down to serve as feet. Those ruby-red lips of hers, on which Zeus planted so many unsolicited kisses, changed into hideous, fearsome jaws. And her faculty of speech, it was replaced by a terrifying growl. She tried to speak, but only a mighty roar exited her mouth. On four legs, with a furry back and a newly added bulk, she clumsily walked over to the river. There, toward the limpid stream, she tilted her head in order to gaze at her reflection, and, by Jove, and I do mean by Jove, she'd been transformed into a bear. She couldn't believe her eyes. How could this be? She thought. I still have a woman's heart. I still feel like a woman. But not a woman's form. Not a woman's shape. Thereafter, for many friendless years, she wandered in the woods alone. The years rolled on until... One day, her son was sixteen years of age, almost a man. Do you remember the name of Callisto's son? That's right, Arcus, after whom Arcadia is named. Like his poor mother, of whom the young man had no memory, Arcus was a hunter. He was swift of foot and sharp of eye, and had archery skills of which all the other hunters in the town were envious. They suspected his having benefited from some divine enhancement, but of this they had no proof. Little did they know, he was the son of Zeus, and as such, a demigod. One day, Arcus was out alone hunting in the forest. With great care, he was placing his net on the leafy ground, in which he hoped to capture a giant bear. That, after all, was the biggest prize that he could win. As he crouched down to tie its final knot, he noticed an auburn mass in the distance. The auburn mass returned his notice. Squinting his eyes, Arcus realized this wasn't merely a mass. It was a bear! 
He leapt from his crouched position and raised his javelin at once. Bears are famous for their viciousness and their speed. So as to avoid becoming another's meal, he steadied his hand, narrowed his aim, and prepared to strike the approaching beast. He took a deep breath, tensed his shoulder, and prepared to launch his missile when, suddenly, he caught sight of the bear's big, dark eye. The deep, plaintive, or sad, stare with which his fearful look was greeted was unsettling, to say the very least. It froze him. He couldn't throw his spear. The bear, the prize of every hunter, the great beast of whose hide every man yearns to make a rug, seemed to recognize his face. Its quiet, doleful, or sad, eyes were fixed on his own, as though it somehow personally knew him. How strange. Curious, the bear took another step forward, as though it were about to reach out and touch the boy. Reflexively, Arcus raised his javelin again, and was just about to thrust it forward when... In the blink of an eye, his hand was stayed, or stopped. His throwing motion was stopped, and the pair, mother and son, bear and boy, were swept away. <laughs> Zeus had intervened and averted, or prevented, the tragedy. In a whirl of magical wind, he carried them up to the sky, in which, as constellations, they were implanted. Callisto became Ursa Major, which means Great Bear. Arcus, her son, became Ursa Minor, or Little Bear. And thus, mother and son bedazzled the sky together. Tonight, when you look up at the night sky, wave hello to this pair. I can assure you, if you look closely, you'll notice a twinkle that's waving right back. As for Zeus, that mighty troublemaker, take care not to imitate his bad behavior. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful adventure. I hope you enjoyed the myth of Callisto as much as I did recounting it. The purpose of this channel is to entertain and enlighten the whole family, young and old, child and parent alike. With your support, we can achieve that end. We can build or rebuild an intelligent, curious, 
and lovable society. One in which we are all eager to grow up and thrive. Please, subscribe to this channel. Leave a five-star rating and, most importantly, share it with your friends. Share it with your Facebook groups, your Instagram and Twitter followers, or your fellow parents at church, synagogue, the gym, your spin class, F45, your orange theory, or your school. Let's raise, together, a generation of geniuses. Let's not forsake our myths and heroes, the great men and women by whom our extraordinary culture is built. Visit my sister podcasts, Finnerin's Wake and Numa, for more material. And with that, farewell from Finnerin's Wake for kids. <laughs>